Keep open Matthew, Matthew 4 verses 12 to 17 will be our focus today. Matthew 4 verses 12 to 17 as we think about Jesus the preacher. Jesus the preacher. Well it's safe to say that our world does not value preaching and preachers very highly. Uh, popular depictions of church ministers where you find them. Uh, tend to be that they are usually bumbling old fuddy-duddies, um, overweight, out of touch. Uh, maybe some of you a few years ago watched the, the Poldark BBC series. Uh, Hannah and I uh, used to watch it. And there were a couple of preachers or ministers in that series, minor characters. One of them was very, uh, what you would call puritanical in the way that the world would use that word in a very negative sense. He was always dressed in black. He was always very angry. He was always speaking to everyone, even in casual conversation, in harsh, judgmental tones. And the implication was that he was actually a violent and abusive man. Uh, The other minister in the series was a pompous deviant. He was all smiles in public. He was immoral and vile in private. Meanwhile, the main character, Poldark himself, was hardworking. He was dashing. He was courageous. And he never went to church. And that's kind of the the popular depiction in our day. Preaching and preachers are not particularly popular. I remember on one occasion a politician uh, being interviewed and becoming really passionate, really what we would call head up about their subject and really talking it up, really trying to sell whatever it was that he was talking about. And the interviewer cut across him and said, Mr. So-and-so, it sounds as though you're preaching to us on this subject politician immediately said oh no 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 the last thing I would want to do is preach at anybody and the last thing many people want today is to be preached and you notice how he said it preach at anybody that's that's how people talk they they don't want to be preached at and yet what we see in Matthew chapter 4 verses 12 to 17 today is that with his credentials provided and his preparation time completed Jesus Christ, the Son of God, sent down from heaven, born of the Virgin Mary, sent to be the Savior of the world. What did he come to do? Well, he comes preaching. Look at verse 17. From that time, Jesus (coughs) began to preach. He began something that he would do regularly for an extended period of time. He began to preach. The Son of God could have done anything when he came to this earth. He could have done any number of incredible things, feats of strength or power to get people's attention, to get people to hear about the kingdom of God. And of course, he did supplement his preaching and teaching with miraculous signs. But the mission strategy, friends, of God when he sent his Son to the earth was preaching. And that is still to be the mission strategy of the church today. It's the pattern of scripture and it's the pattern of history. Having died on the cross and risen again for for the sins of his people, the Lord Jesus Christ ascended into heaven. And he tells his apostles that the, the church age, the New Testament church age, essentially is going to begin. They're to wait in Jerusalem. And then on the day of Pentecost, of course, described in Acts chapter 2, The Holy Spirit descends on the church. And what's the result? Peter preaches. 
Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul, as he did throughout his missionary journeys, he finds himself in the city of Athens and he goes to Mars Hill, that that pagan religious place, uh, (coughs) in some ways the philosophical capital of the world at that time. And Paul speaks and Paul proclaims and Paul preaches. With his dying breath, almost, Paul commands Timothy, 2 Timothy 4 verse 2, preach the word, preach the word. And the Bible gives us this pattern and gives us this command to prioritize preaching, knowing what it looks like to the world, knowing how it sounds to the world, knowing the mockery it will receive from the world. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1.21, it pleased God through the folly, the foolishness of what we preach to save those who believe. God delights to use something that the world would call, would call foolishness to save sinners. J.C. Ryle commenting on this passage that we come to in Matthew today. He says, there is no office so honourable as that of the preacher. And notice he says it's the office, not those who occupy it, that, are, that, that is so honourable. There is no office so honourable as that of the preacher. It is an office which the Son of God was not ashamed to take up. It is the principal means which God has always been pleased to use for the conversion and edification of souls. He goes on. The brightest days of the church have been those when preaching has been honoured. The darkest days of the church have been those when it has been lightly esteemed. So as we approach the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, as Matthew records it, friends, we want to notice the fact that Jesus' ministry was a preaching ministry. The word for preach or preaching, variations of it appear more than 60 times in the New Testament. And the root of the word means a herald, a messenger, someone who is proclaiming something not on their own authority. (coughs) Paul quotes from Isaiah 52 when he talks about the need for preachers in Romans chapter 10. Isaiah 52 verse 7 says, How beautiful upon the mountaintops are the feet of those who bring good news. And the picture there is that following a time of battle, when your nation has been off to war, that the message comes back that victory has been secured. And so you're so delighted to see the feet of the messenger coming to bring you that good news. And we live in the age when the peace, the victory that Jesus Christ has won for us, the victory that Jesus has won over Satan and sin and death is to be proclaimed. And we are to esteem the feet of those who bring that good news. Beautiful. And so the one who preaches speaks not for themselves, but for God. Uh, They preach not their own words, but the words of God and the message of God. And that's what God the Son did. That's what Jesus did in his human flesh. He came preaching. We want to think about three things from this passage today. We're going to think about the location of Jesus preaching. We're going to think about the message of Jesus preaching. And then we'll think about the impact of Jesus preaching. So let's think first of all about the location of Jesus preaching. Look at verses 12 to 13. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, Jesus withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. 
John's arrest is Jesus' cue to begin preaching. Uh, When we read there that he withdrew to Galilee, we're not to think that Jesus acted out of any fear. Uh, The suggestion that some make is that he withdrew to to Galilee to avoid being arrested like John had been arrested uh, that's probably not the case. Um, it's not the, well, certainly not the case that Jesus withdrew out of any fear of man. And if he had been withdrawing to avoid Herod, he didn't do a very good job because Galilee was Herod's jurisdiction and it was Herod that had sought the arrest of John the Baptist. What it's telling us here is that <clears throat> Jesus is moving from having been in the region of Judea, closer to Jerusalem, to being in the region of Galilee. John's arrest brings his public ministry to an end. He had been preparing the way for Jesus. And so Jesus knows that this is now his cue to step forward. The the preparation ministry is over. Jesus' preaching ministry now begins. We're not reading here about the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. Um, We have that recorded for us in the Gospel of John. Uh, John chapters 1 to 4 record what seemed to be the first real year of Jesus' ministry. And it was a ministry really centered on teaching. Uh, In John chapters 1 to 4, you read about Jesus going to Jerusalem (coughs) several times. Uh, We read of his encounters with people like Nicodemus. We read of him uh, changing the, the water into wine and so forth. And that really accounts for the first year of Jesus' ministry. When he comes here to Galilee, when he moves to Galilee, it begins a new phase of his ministry. It's his preaching ministry. And it's interesting that he decides to hold that ministry in Galilee. Perhaps to to many people it would have seemed a surprising choice at the time. Galilee was known as Galilee of the Gentiles. It was a mixed area, more so than and other parts of of the Jewish world at that time. Galilee was a place looked down on by other Jews because of the fact that uh, Gentiles lived there and there were Gentile customs and there were traditions from other religions that were prevalent and prominent in the wider region of Galilee. Uh, Capernaum becomes Jesus' adopted hometown, town maybe of around about 12,000 people. They Uh, archaeologists and commentators suggest and it's a town by the seaside so to speak or the lakeside to be more accurate about it it's it's situated on the northwestern shore of the lake or the sea of Galilee and that northwestern and and northern shore of Galilee was a a densely populated area Uh, again the commentators suggest maybe around 200 uh, settlements all these little towns and villages spilling into one another There was a thriving fishing economy in the area. Um, The Gospels tell us that the Romans had a centurion and a customs post in Capernaum, which would suggest that the Romans saw Capernaum as a strategically important place. It was close to a major trade route that would still have been used in the times of uh, the New Testament, uh, running all the way from Damascus to the Mediterranean. And so it's not that there was nobody in Galilee. It's not that it was some sort of wilderness where... Uh, Jesus was wasting his time because there was hardly anybody there. There were lots of people there. But it wasn't Jerusalem where Jesus had spent more time perhaps in his first year of ministry. It wasn't the Jewish capital 
It didn't have the temple. It didn't have uh, the, 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 the appreciation of Jewish religion and tradition. Jerusalem was the capital of the Jews. Galilee was the place of the Gentiles. You see, friends, this is the, the MO of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Going to the unreached places and the unreached people. And there's a sense, a sense of tension in all the gospels. And we'll see it come out in Matthew's gospel uh, as we make our way through it in, in, in years and months ahead. Uh, there's a tension between Jesus and Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the established centre of the Jewish religion. And yet there's nowhere that shows more hostility to Jesus than Jerusalem. And in going to Galilee for apparently as we have it recorded in Matthew and in some of the other Gospels for a large chunk of his public ministry friends. Jesus is likely giving us a pattern to follow. That we too are to be outward looking to have a concern for the as yet unreached people or the as yet unreached places, the, the places that the world might easily ignore, but where there are lots and lots of people who, spiritually speaking, don't know their right hand from their left. Jerusalem was also where, as is mentioned already, the New Testament church really began, where the Holy Spirit came down and anointed the apostles for the preaching of the word. And when Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 souls were converted. Uh, Almost entirely, the vast majority of them would have been Jewish people. And in the early chapters of Acts, we see the church established in Jerusalem. We see the church thriving in Jerusalem, even despite the, the early criticism and pressure brought against it. And we read of God adding to the number of those who are being saved. But just when the church gets comfortable Persecution is ramped up in God's providence. Saul of Tarsus, as he was the enemy of the church before he became the great apostle of the church, uh, his persecution, the, the, the martyrdom of Stephen, that leads to the church having to scatter, having to leave Jerusalem. But that's exactly what Jesus had told them they were supposed to do. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. They were never supposed to just stay in Jerusalem. And in God's providence, the the persecution brought about at the time of Stephen's death forces the church to move and to go to new places. And that's the history of the Christian church ever since. Friends, not to simplify it too much. But the church is to continue to move. The church is to continue to look out and see where are the places and where are the people that are yet to hear the gospel. And in fact, again, not to paint with too broad a brush, but the history of the Christian church would show us that a comfortable church often becomes a compromising church and a declining church. A comfortable church often becomes a lazy church. The church is not just to be concerned with itself and its own location and its own needs. We're to continue to look out we're to do that as individual Christians. We're to, look out, we're to look outward and to ask which of our family or friends or neighbours haven't yet heard the gospel. We're to do this as a congregation. We're to look out and to ask which of our neighbouring towns or neighbouring counties haven't yet heard the gospel. 
as a denomination were to look out and to ask which of our neighbouring nations haven't yet heard the gospel. And we might well think, well, what about all our vacancies? And yes, we're to continue to pray that God will provide for the needs of the church here in Northern Ireland and in other parts of Ireland. But friends, we, we live here in Northern Ireland in, in a place that has heard the gospel and is hearing the gospel. And there are many, many churches that are proclaiming the gospel. If there's such a thing as a, a reached place, many parts of Northern Ireland are such places. It's not to say that we see you know, every man, woman and child in, in town after town praising the name of God, praising the name of Jesus Christ, living in repentance and faith. Sadly, we don't see that. But they have opportunity. There are churches to preach to them. There are Christians to witness to them. Without turning our back on this place where we find ourselves, we're also to ask, where do we still need to go? Who still needs to hear? All kinds of people in all kinds of places need to hear the gospel. You think of the great missionary endeavours of past generations, William Carey to India, Hudson Taylor to China, David Livingstone and others to Africa. And the seeds that they, those men and, and others and other men and women like them, the seed that they sowed is perhaps still bearing fruit today. We'll, we'll only know in eternity, but the, 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 chains, the, the chains that God uses, the the passing on of the gospel from one generation to another. Those are people who understood the need to go, the need to look outward, the need to plant the seed in other places. Where has God located you? Where, where might he relocate you? We need preachers and we need preaching. And we need to pray for more preachers and preaching. The harvest is plentiful The workers are few. According to the Joshua Project, there are, uh, we live now, of course, in a world of roughly 8 billion people. Maybe as many as 3.4 billion of them live in unreached people groups. 42% of the world population. Less than 3% of mission work is going on in that 42% region. Harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. And to the unattractive places and to the unlikely places and to the unimpressive places or to the unimportant places, the gospel is to go and preachers are to go. So the location of Jesus preaching. Let's think also about the message of Jesus preaching. We'll come back to verses 14 to 16 shortly, but just look for now at verse 17. From that time, Jesus began to preach saying, repent. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Notice it's exactly the same message as John the Baptist preached back in Matthew chapter 3 verse 2. Exactly the same. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And and like John this was Jesus continual message. This, This sums up the message that he would have preached from town to town and place to place. And again it's the message of the Bible. It's the message of history. Think of Jonah going to Nineveh, eventually going to Nineveh, uh, having failed to do so in the first place. But when he does go, he preaches to the people 40 days and uh, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And what do the people do? They repent. The king of Nineveh, Jonah 3 verse 8 says, 
Let everyone turn from his evil way. Turning is repentance. Who knows, he says, God may turn and relent. Haggai chapter 1 verses 4 and 5. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your panelled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. (coughs) In other words, consider the way that you've been going and turn from it. And go in the way that God commands. And again to mention Pentecost again. What was it that Peter preached? Well having explained the crucifixion of Christ. Uh, the crowd then say to Peter what shall we do? And Peter says repent. And be baptised every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. He said before to the boys and girls. Repentance is that about turn. It's that 180 degree turn that we have to do away from sin. And toward God. And, and it's not just saying sorry boys and girls. Sometimes perhaps we can be guilty of just saying sorry because we're told to. It's meaning it. And it's resolving. Asking for God's help to not do that thing in future. To turn from it and leave it behind completely. That's repentance. Jay Packer has said you become a heretic when you stop repenting. When you stop repenting. There are churches today that have stopped repenting. There are individuals, of course, who have never started repenting. Repentance is not just how the Christian life begins. Repentance is the mark of the Christian life ongoing. And this is the message that Jesus preached. He came into this mixed area. People, some people living with a sense of pride in their perhaps Jewish religion or Jewish traditions. Other people living... Without any concern for a religion at all or living on the basis of some other tradition or some other religion. Jesus came and he said repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And as we thought about when we looked at John preaching this message. The kingdom is at hand because the king has come. Jesus Christ at that point embodies the kingdom. We're to repent because the king is here. What do you need to repent of? today the culture that we live in would tell you that you have nothing to repent of the motto of our culture is the lyrics of the greatest showman maybe some of you saw that movie a few years ago great music great choreography terrible lyrics I'm marching to the beat I drum I'm not scared to be seen I make no apologies this is me If ever there was a lyric that summed up our culture, that's it. I make no apologies. This is me. If I see that Virgin Airlines TV ad one more time, I'm going to lose it. Have any of you seen it? I think you know the one I mean. And the soundtrack in the background, I am what I am. The culture would say, be your best self. Speak your truth. You have no need to apologize for anything. Jesus comes and he says, repent. Turn. Some of us are anxious today to the point where that anxiety has blocked our vision of the glory of God and the goodness of God and the word of God. Some of us are angry today because we want everything to be under our control and we are yet to realize that very little in our lives is under our control at all. Maybe some of us are boastful today. 
taken up with our own abilities and our own achievements and our own ambitions. Maybe some of us are covetous. January can be a bad month for covetousness. As we come back off the back of a holiday, which also can be tempting in the realm of covetousness, and we look at so-and-so heading off to the sun, or so-and-so who got this or that for Christmas, or so-and-so who has that promotion, and we just wish we could live somebody else's life. Some of us perhaps need to repent of being a discouragement. We're just always seeing the negative and we're always dragging people down. And if there's someone who's happy about something, we're the first to burst their bubble. Perhaps it's envy. Perhaps it's greed. Perhaps it's gossip. Perhaps it's a haughtiness as it was for many of the Jews in Jesus' day. Just assumed that there were better people than other people. We can be guilty of that as well. Well, I'm not doing what that person is doing that makes the news. Maybe it's impatience. Maybe it's jealousy. Maybe it's lust. We've just gone through half the alphabet. I'll spare us from going through the other half of the alphabet. What, what is it today that we need to repent of? Galatians 5.21 says, Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, the kingdom that Jesus came to announce. Let anyone who thinks they stand, Paul says, take heed lest they fall. Very godly young preacher, Robert Murray McShane from Scotland, who died, I think it was at the age of 29, but a very godly man. He said, the seed of every sin is in my heart. And we need to have that attitude of humility. And as we thought about last week with the temptations of Christ being on guard against the temptations of the evil one, we need to have the attitude of the psalmist. Search me, O God, my heart discern. Psalm 51, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. This is what the church is to preach, friends, the message of repentance. This is how we know whether a preacher is faithful or a fraud. Is he calling you to repent? Does he ever say anything that makes you uncomfortable? I hope not everything I say makes us uncomfortable. That that shouldn't be the case. But a preacher is not doing his job if at some point he's not making us feel uncomfortable. It's God's message that we're to preach. It's God's kingdom that we should want to be a part of. And to be part of that kingdom we must repent. We must ignore the message of the world, the false gospels of the world to be your best self and repent. That's what Jesus came preaching. The location of Jesus preaching, the message of Jesus preaching and thirdly and finally the impact of Jesus preaching the impact of Jesus preaching, we've seen already in Matthew's gospel the emphasis Matthew puts on Jesus being the fulfilment of scripture, that all that God promised to do for his people through the Old Testament prophets will be done in and through Jesus that he is that chosen one Matthew has emphasised that strongly to us and One of the ways that he's emphasized it is through the word fulfill. And he uses that word fulfill again here to show that the location and the message of Jesus' ministry is exactly what God had promised it would be. This is uh, what Jesus is saying and doing here is what the Old Testament prophets had said the Messiah would do. So if you look at verse 14, uh, we're told that Jesus in verse 13, he went and lived in Capernaum. 
the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali. And then verse 14, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. It's quoting there from Isaiah chapter 9 verses 1 and 2. And saying this is exactly what the Messiah would do. He would come to this particular region and he would preach this particular message. And it would be like light dawning on people who were enslaved and oppressed. We see Matthew's particular concern for Jewish readers coming out in his use of Zebulun and Naphtali. Those weren't really, you know, people didn't really talk about going into the territory of Zebulun or Naphtali by the days of Jesus. Only very devout and uh, nationally minded Jews would have done that. Uh, it, it didn't really mean anything anymore. Rome ruled, ruled the area. But Matthew uses the terms here to show that the promises of God to his people still matter. That he's fulfilling his promises exactly as he had said he would. And the regions of Zebulun and Naphtali, they, they had had particular reason for discouragement back in the days of Isaiah. Uh, 2 Kings chapter 15 tells us that when the Assyrians invaded uh, and really decimated the northern kingdom of Israel, the areas of Zebulun and Naphtali were particularly heavily hit. Uh, exiles were taken away. Devastation was wrought upon them. But Isaiah promises the dawning of light on those who need it most. A second chance, an end to judgment, the, the dawning of a new age. And in quoting from Isaiah chapter 9 as well, Matthew would have been encouraging his more devout and Jewish readers to think about what else Isaiah chapter 9 goes on to promise. Goes on to promise the Messiah who would be wonderful counsellor, mighty God. Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is the light that is dawning upon God's people. And of course, this is a a picture used throughout God's word to describe salvation. Contrast between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. Of course, it all begins in the scriptures, Genesis 1. Let there be light, God speaks and, and light dawns. And in the same way, in sending a son into the world, light has dawned for those oppressed by sin, those whose enemies have, excuse me, those whose enemies have been holding them in darkness and the slavery of sin. And frequently in the New Testament as well, we see the picture of light and dark. Jesus himself, of course, says, John eight twelve, I am the light of the world. Ephesians five verse eight, Paul says, At one time you were darkness, but now you are light. In the Lord, walk as children of light. So Jesus, friends, is, is light dawning. It's like, it's like all the darkness fading away and, and the encouragement and the hope and the joy of a new day beginning. The only question is, do we want that? Do we want the light of Jesus Christ in our lives? John chapter 3 verse 19 says, This is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works are evil. Not everyone wants the light. You think of that quite literally. 
some of the worst sins, some of the most shameful and despicable sins are often carried out under the cover of darkness. People don't want the light shed upon them. I think I've used this picture before, but maybe some of you are the age where this is your experience at times during the week. Some of you who are younger, but uh, teenagers don't always like the light being shed into their bedroom at 10 or 11 o'clock on a Saturday morning. Mum or dad decides it's time for them to get up. And they don't like the light blazing into their eyes. They're, They're used to the dark. They're comfortable in the dark. They want to stay in the dark. And that's the result, friends, when God's word is preached. There are those who don't want the light shed upon their lives. And there were even those to whom the Lord Jesus Christ himself preached who were in that category. In Matthew chapter 9... The town of Capernaum is described as Jesus' own city. It was his adopted home for at least a portion of his life. But in Matthew chapter 11, verse 23, here's what Jesus says of his own adopted city. Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? You will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works done in you have been done in Sodom... It would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more tolerable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. Did you hear that? It would be more tolerable for the city of gang rape and despicable sin and murder. It will be more tolerable for that city than for a city that was perhaps just a quiet little sleepy village town. Quiet little run-of-the-mill country village, a place that saw the works of Jesus Christ, a place that saw the miracles of Jesus Christ. Jesus says, Judgment Day will be worse for you than it will for Sodom. That should be a very sobering word for parts of the world like ours where the gospel has been preached for generation after generation after generation. And yet there can be so much indifference in the world around us. Indifference is, well, according to Jesus, is one of the most abominable sins. To have heard the word of God and yet rejected it. To have had the light shine and to have recoiled and pulled the cover up over your head and wanted to continue in the state you were in. What's the case for you today? What impact has the word of God had upon you? Have you heard it time and time again and just remained indifferent to it? Or has it been a welcome light in your life? And do you seek to walk by the light that the word of God gives you? This is the transformation that can come about when the word of God is preached. That those who were stumbling around and falling over in the dark. Those who were enslaved in sin can be set free and can walk in the light of life. John Newton, the man who wrote some of the, most fam- the words of one of the most famous Christian songs in the world, Amazing Grace. Before he became a Christian, he lived very much in the dark. He was a sailor who took part in the African slave trade. He gambled, he drank heavily. He, his language was awful. And then in 1748, he was aboard a ship sailing near the coast of County Donegal. And the, the ship found itself in the midst of a dreadful storm. So terrifying that this hardened sailor pleaded for God's mercy. 
And from that day on, he was saved. He, he, or from that day on, rather, he, he walked with Christ. He had been saved by God's grace. And eventually, of course, he wrote those famous words, I was blind. I was in the dark. But now I see. Can you say that today as well? Is that the impact that the word of God has had upon you? That's why we should pray for preachers and preaching. That God would use the foolishness of preaching. Something the world despises. Something the world recoils from. That God would use it to bring light into the life of sinners. Are you indifferent today? Or are you repentant? Are you stumbling in the dark? Or are you walking in the light? Listen to Jesus the preacher. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Amen.